and this is Reasons for Leaving. I am the man of many jobs and your host, Dale Robbins. First, thank you to my listeners. I am thrilled that you are out there joining me. Second, this podcast is now a weekly podcast. I'm having so much fun doing this, I want to be with you more. So every Friday is your payday for a new episode. And now for the news. The website FamilySearch.org released a feature that allows users to post an invitation on their Facebook account to see if their friends are related to them. Users report finding relationships with friends up to 14th cousins. And there are unconfirmed reports the tool is quickly growing in popularity in the Southeast United States as a companion to online dating services. The Wall Street Journal is reporting the response made by Mark Zuckerberg to comments made by Apple CEO Tim Cook. In an interview, Cook was asked to comment on the controversy of Facebook's data collection policies. Mr. Cook stated Apple would, quote, never find itself in such a jam. Mark Zuckerberg stated internally, we need to inflict pain. In a Reasons for Leaving exclusive, here is an audio excerpt from that meeting. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. And lastly, Google announced it will cease selling ads based on people's inter-website browsing history. This led many to celebrate the possibility that Skynet is held at bay for now. Google had no comment on the large bodybuilder in leather seen leaving its headquarters. And now for what I think. I am a fan of value. I prefer Wendy's or Burger King for fast food. It's not as cheap as McDonald's, but it's better. It's not as good as Carl's Jr. or Hardee's, but it's cheaper. If the cheese pizza and the pepperoni pizza are both $5, I get the pepperoni pizza because I'm getting more for my money. But then again, my kids want the cheese pizza, and when I tell them to pick off the pepperoni and give it to me, they tell me that messes up the surface texture of the cheese. Whole milk is the same price as the other types of milk, so I buy whole milk and add a little water to it. It lasts longer that way, and in the long run, I pay less per gallon. I buy cheap trash bags and double bag them in my can, and I still save money. I don't want to pay much for something I'm literally going to throw in a dumpster. I go cheap on toilet paper, too. At the store, my daughter pointed out that manufacturers call it bathroom tissue. Either way, I want to pay as little as possible for something that I'm going to literally flush down the toilet. I had a roommate who would buy his own bathroom tissue because he didn't like the cheap stuff I bought. To each his own. I don't go cheap on shoes. I buy medium to good quality shoes at Ross or TJ Maxx and replace the insoles with quality ones. Of course, we all have a line we will not cross. One of mine is Kikuman soy sauce. If you bring lechoy or some other cheap trash water to my table, there will be words. And that's what I think. 
Do you ever get the feeling that you are thinking? Millions of people report this symptom, but now there's hope. Jelly Beans from the Moon is a new treatment for feelings of thinking. In a study, the majority of patients report an increase of knowing they are thinking as opposed to feeling they are thinking. Do not take jelly beans from the moon if you are allergic to jelly beans from the moon. Common side effects include thinking that you are feeling and a unibrow. It is not recommended to sit in your doctor's waiting lounge to count the number of pharmaceutical reps that come in with their little suitcases each hour. Ask your doctor if jelly beans from the moon are right for you. Our guest for this episode is Jennifer Hunsaker, a longtime friend, an amazing woman, mother of four children, military spouse, director for the Miss Utah for America, and Mrs. Utah pageants and career counselor. Uh, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. This is so fun to thank be here. Thank you. Um, so, Jen, uh, how did you get into pageant production? You know, it's kind of a strange thing. I, I feel like I got into pageant production the same way I get into everything in my life, and that's kind of by accident. Uh, my husband was deployed the second time. I had three little tiny kids, and I was watching the Mrs. America, pa or sorry, the Miss America pageant, and I thought, you know, that was one thing on my bucket list when I was 10 that I never got around to doing because by the time I was that age of, to do pageants, I was like, meh, I'm not into it. Um, so I Googled Mrs. Pageants, and lo and behold, there was one. So with about five weeks left the pageant, I entered on a whim just to itch a scratch. And uh, it just so happened that the pageant was going to happen when he was home on mid-tour leave. And lo and behold, I did it. And met some incredible women and came away the third runner-up having never done anything like that before and mm -hmm. the next year the director uh asked me to come back and kind of help around help backstage help run some errands and here we are it's been 10 years and she's now my business partner and it's a lot of fun it's really kind of cool to to build a community of women every year that are awesome human beings that want to make a difference wow that's that's just simply amazing very cool um, and you, Pierce, you're very multifaceted. I know that you're uh, a musician as well, and uh, you have a degree in human resources. I and, do. And some experience in that field. Uh, t can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Sure. I actually, like I said, I got into it kind of by accident. I was working for a new student orientation at Utah State, and I was actually in graduate school in speech pathology to start out. And I uh, really kind of wasn't happy with where I was headed, but I loved my job. And my entire job was, was focused around hiring and training the student orientation staff. So fortunately, I walked across campus and said, hey, I'm, can, I come, can I come over here and play? And the HR advisor said, yes, absolutely. You just have to get your advisor to sign this paper. And that was it. So I cruised through the, a master's degree in human resource management. And... Uh, kind of accidentally wandered into small business consulting, uh, really helping businesses that were too small to have their own HR manager understand what human resource principles and organizational behavior and development principles they could use to build their businesses successfully. I think a lot of times we think of small business owners, um, you know, they're, they're one of the largest employers in the entire United States, but yet they don't really understand the nuances of hiring and firing and um, or even training, or what do I do with people once I have them? Well, I can certainly agree with that. Um, as a former small business owner myself, I mean, 
each day it was everything I could do just to keep the lights on and keep the gears rolling. So, yeah, I can certainly respect that. Um, you know, you're also a career counselor. Um, and, you know, I, I have a resume. Uh, every time I show it to somebody, uh, I get conflicting uh, feedback on that. You know, it's, it's too long, it's too short, too much detail, not enough detail. It can be so frustrating. Um, but the question I have never asked is in general, what are just a few universal details on what HR professionals and career counselors agree on for a good resume? I think one of the big things is that your resume has to be readable. Uh, you know, you, you look at, you hear all the time, your resume has to reflect the job that you want, but you don't always hear that your resume has to be readable. There's, you have to understand that human resource professionals, hiring managers, um, even the secretaries that are a lot of times involved with resume intake, they're human beings. And so if you give them something that when you look at the paper, you're like, oh, crap, i got to read a whole ton of words to be able to unearth whatever it is that somebody <laughs> is trying to tell me. Well, we don't want to do that. Um, I, I spent some time in content marketing, and the thing that I always tell you is that you want lots of white space, and you want something that you can skim and get the general idea. Uh, so I think a lot of times, universally, you don't want to make anybody have to work too hard to find out what it is that you can really do. So you really want a resume that you can skim and get the general gist of that doesn't make you want to tear your hair out on, you know, if, if in case your resume happens to be the 500th, they have to see that day. <laughs> well, that's a good point, good perspective on that. Um, so, I mean, if you're going to err on one side, less is probably the way to go, but the words that you are using should be highly descriptive of who you are and what your background is. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and there's, there's something to be said about having a basic resume that has all of the information that you want to, you could possibly use to describe yourself. All of your education, all of your experience, all of your volunteer experience and your skills and things and then going through and paring it down based on whatever it is that you're trying to apply for. So if you are an intelligence professional, let's say, that you're trying to work for a government contractor, you would have a very different resume than if you were trying to do a job teaching in a school. Um, so you, you've got to be able to have a little bit of flexibility to, to go through your experience and say, okay, they don't necessarily need to know about my 15 languages and my 25 years of experience here, but they definitely want to hear about this piece. Hmm, that's a good point. I mean, I'm 42 years old, and I'm job searching right now, and so obviously my my total experience is going to be pretty long. But um, I I don't think uh, you know my bartending in college may be that pertinent. <laughs> well, and I'm the same way. Like I've had I've had 15 jobs in the last 20 years since I got out of college, but. Um, but none of them, you know, depending on who I'm wanting to go work for, is, is the, the things that I'm going to highlight are going to be differently than, or going to be different than if I'm going to, if I was going to go 10 bar, then I would, my resume would look very different than if I was going to try and run a small business. Gaps in your resume, times that uh, for whatever reason you haven't been working, seems like a delicate little minefield to dance around. What thoughts do you have on that? You know, I don't think it's as delicate as they make it out to be. I think everybody assumes that a gap in your resume is a bad thing. But right now, especially where you have people that are, you know, coming back into the workforce, either because 
they've been unemployed for a period or they had a gap because they decided to stay home and take care of their family or whatever the case may be. I think, I think a lot of times we make it out to be a much worse situation than the person that's looking at our resume does. Really what they want to know is they want to know, can this person do the job that I've posted? And aside from very specific industries that have very specific timelines, uh, the person looking at your resume really isn't interested in, in a gap in your, in your work experience. What they really want to know is, can you do what I'm trying to have you do right this minute? So if you have a gap, um, that's fine. But then you might want to say, for instance, I got X number of years of experience in, in these certain qualities and in these certain skills rather than having a chronological resume. I think we kind of get stuck in this idea that we have to have a chronological listing of all the things that we've done. Um, but a functional resume that talks about, I have five years of experience in using word processing programs, or I have 10 years of experience in marketing, or I have five years of experience in Adobe Photoshop. Um, those are the skills that your employer really wants to see. And so kind of switching it out of the mindset that we have to have a chronological order of all of our job listings and switching it to a, what does my, what does potential employer need to know about me to be able to do this job? Hmm. Good point. Good point. Um, you know, uh, many people tell their kids, uh, you can do anything you want if you work hard enough. Uh, com comedian Chris Rock talks about how he was hearing this in an orientation to his daughter and he felt like it was kind of a disservice. He said, you could probably do something you're good at, and it helps if they're hiring, and it's good if you know someone. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think it's interesting. Uh, when I Now, in, in my current life, looking back, I think a lot about that, about this whole notion that you can be whatever you want to be. But in, in all actuality, there is kind of a confluence of events that have to happen in order for you to achieve whatever career goal it is that you're looking to achieve. I wanted to be a surgeon when I was young. That was my whole life's purpose. I was going to go repair cleft palate in the jungles of South America. Like that was, that was it right. for me. Right on. Um, but when, when it came down to it, when I actually sat down and did a little bit of research and understood what it was going to take for me to get from here to there, then I had to account for, well, how much debt am I going to have to do that? How much time is that going to take? Am I willing to make some sacrifices in my family life in order to make that happen? And so there's, there's kind of an a elimination process that happens the more we look into it. So my feeling about it is that if, you, if a kid especially wants to be an astronaut, it's like, great. You know what? Here's what it takes. And you can actually look. There's actually some really great resources online that you can look what it would take to become that thing. But in actuality, what's happening now is that career counselors in particular are not trained to ask what do you want to be when you grow up. It's what do you want your life to look like when you grow up. Hmm. And so it's a little bit of a subtle shift because suddenly it's like, well, I want to be a doctor, but I don't necessarily want to go live in the jungles of South America at 43 years old. Um, so, so you can kind of start to look at your career not as the end-all and be-all, but as a portion of your life rather than the only thing you'll ever accomplish. That's actually a really good way to look at it. You know, uh, I want to be a doctor, but I don't like blood and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> I want to be a doctor, but I really hate the idea of cutting into people. Well, then you probably should be a doctor. You, so you've, you've consulted with quite a few companies. Uh, any uh, humorous or, or wild stories come out, uh, come, come to mind when you think about your time doing that? You know, I think, I think probably the wildest is, is being in the position that I'm in right now with 
with the pageants, I didn't think that there would ever be a time in my life where I would have to have conversations about about butt glue and chicken cutlets in your swimsuit. Like I just, it's one of those <laughs> things that's surreal every single time I do it. And I'm like, wow, this is really my life. <laughs> Part of my business is, has to, is how to teach you for your, how to teach you not to have your swimsuit right up on stage. And the difference between a nude shoe on one person is not the same as a nude shoe on another person. So I think probably my wildest stories come right now from, from this experience I'm having. It's, it's, just such a surreal thing to be in a in an event production business that deals in butt butt glue and chicken implants. <laughs> oh, something you thought you'd never hear yourself say. Never. Uh, you know, there's a whole host of things that you never thought you'd say as a parent. That well, I say a lot of those to my contestants. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, now, Jen, uh, do you have a a website uh, for yourself that you want to tell people about? You know what? I will. I'm on Instagram. I'm under Jen Knows Everything. Um, it's kind of a little wink and a nod to a really good friend of mine that used to say that all the time that I knew everything and she was always right. Um, I don't actually know everything, but I know a little bit about a lot of things. So that's that's where you can find me. Is that Jen Knows Everything on Instagram? That's awesome. Well, Jen, it has been an absolute pr- pleasure having you uh, today and uh, catching up and having you share your experience with you. Appreciate it very much. Hey, thanks so much. This has been fun. And now for Dale's Tales. In my college years, I did a lot of work in restaurants in various capacities. Here are a few things everyone should know when they go out to eat. The most important thing to remember is rudeness will get you nowhere. You never know for sure if your server is dating the cook, and I can guarantee you at least one server is dating one of the cooks. I can also guarantee you cannot imagine what has been put in customers' food. And heaven help you if you are rude to the host and you are overweight. You will be sitting in a booth. Keep in mind also that payroll is the biggest expense in a restaurant, and as such, Management will keep the staff on shift to as minimal as possible. Often, this requires the staff working that shift to be pushed to expectations beyond the laws of space and time. One restaurant I worked at had a lunchtime promotion, which stated, if your order is not on the table in 30 minutes, your meal was free. Upon taking the customer's order, I would start a stopwatch and leave it on their table. Running a skeleton crew is a good business decision as long as everyone shows up for work. On a particularly busy lunch shift, we were short-staffed and orders were taking a little longer to cook than usual. My order for a party of six was running long and at 28 minutes the food finally was ready. As businesses don't do well by giving things away for free, making the 30-minute deadline was a big deal. The manager in the kitchen handed me the food and said, run. I headed out of the kitchen towards the dining room as fast as I could. To leave the kitchen, I had to ascend a set of stairs. I made it halfway up, only to be foiled by a lone french fry on a step. You know that scene from The Godfather where Michael shoots the police chief and the narcotics dealer in the restaurant? Well... It kind of ended up looking like that for me. 
Upon slipping on the nefarious french fry, my body began to travel upwards and backwards simultaneously. A large rectangular tray with six entrees on it broke the bands of gravity and ascended skyward in slow motion. At the apex of its ascent, it reversed course and came crashing down upon my motionless flat body. My state of shock was quickly dispelled by the sensation of hot soup cascading down my face. The kitchen had to make the meal all over again, and though their meal was free, the customers left me a 25-cent tip. I don't plan to return to the restaurant business. It's too much stress for my liking. But it got me through college, and I've learned a lot about having empathy for good human beings who are doing their best to survive while working in impossible situations. And also some ways to cook really good food. Well, that's all for now. Join me again next Friday, March 12th. Until then, remember to check out the website, www.reasonsforleaving.com. I'm Dale Robbins, and remember, failure is the condiment that gives success the flavor.